Hello, lovelies. I'd like to recap a little bit from last week. And I must have a thing for elephants, I swear to God, because I was thinking about a baby elephant and how when you have a baby elephant, you teach it not to run away by putting a um, piece of rope around its ankle and it learns that it can't get away because when it's a baby, it's not strong enough. However, that same rope works on the elephant when the elephant could literally not just pull off the rope, but pull off the whole building that it's attached to. And so our current paradigm within which we live is very much like a little rope around our ankle. So paradigms create the boundaries for what we are allowed to know and what we're not allowed to know. And that paradigms change. And we looked at ancient Egypt, the story of ancient Egypt through time, through different paradigms, and how the story of ancient Egypt changed significantly from being the holder of divine wisdom in the Napoleonic era down to they were a bunch of crazy savages in the 1970s. <laughs> so since paradigms change, this means we're free to unhinge ourselves from the pervading paradigm of the day. We can add things to it or subtract things from it if we believe it does not serve us. And why is this important? Well, I am going to quote the absolutely amazing Peter Mark Adams here to explain why this is important. So Peter says that magic has been a constant feature of every human culture from the Upper Paleolithic around 35,000 years ago down to today. But to understand why it has played such a formative role in our cultural history, we have to drop some of our most cherished assumptions about the nature of reality and accept the existence of ways of seeing and relating to the world that lie far beyond the routine. It is meaningless to discuss whether magic works or doesn't work against the backdrop of our day-to-day -day perceptions and beliefs. You cannot get any leverage on the subject from a kind of mundane point of view. Okay, so given that the way we see things is based on our paradigm, and given that our paradigm does not allow for magic, we have to get outside of it. So now I want you to imagine something for me. I would like for you to imagine an A4 piece of white paper, printer paper, basically. Okay, so imagine a perfectly clean white piece of printer paper. And then I want you to imagine a marker pen, a texter, we call them in Australia. But take that marker and put a dot on that white piece of paper and have a look at it. Okay, so everything that we know in our paradigm, our science, our philosophy, our religion, our technology, our education, all of our systems, they all reside inside that dot. That dot is our paradigm. Everything else is all the shit that we don't know or we're not allowed to know. Okay, so that includes, gosh, angels, gods, 
demons, fairies, why the ancient Egyptians were so smart, who built the pyramids, stacks of our history, giants, what's on the other side of the moon, quantum jumping, looping, levitation, animal communication, and God knows what else, right? Um, telepathy, being psychic, all of those things. Ingo Swan has such a story to tell about the resistance that he had to his ideas and his research that was absolutely phenomenal into the capacity of the human mind. We'll get on to Ingo Swan later because he is amazing. But like all of that research in the white space, except for maybe, you know, within the CIA or something like that. As we know, they published a document about it. But I mean, what we're allowed to know is none of that stuff, kids. Stay away from that. That's dangerous. Free energy. I'm sure they have free energy. I'm absolutely sure they have it. But we're not allowed to. We're not allowed to um, be aware of that. Time travel. Aliens. And, of course, magic. So we've been beating up on paradigms pretty good now. But is there... Anything else that we need to be aware of that is impacting our magic? Let me read you a quote. Every kind of ignorance in the world all results from not realizing that our perceptions are gambles. We believe what we see and then we believe our interpretation of it. We don't even know we are making an interpretation most of the time. We think this is reality. And this is a quote by Robert Anton Wilson, who was a great magical thinker. So every type of bigotry, every type of racism, sexism, prejudice, every dogmatic ideology that allows people to kill with a clear conscience, and every stupid cult, every superstition, religion, every kind of ignorance, all result from not realizing that our perceptions are gambles. So we've already established that paradigms set boundaries for what we know, what we can know, and how we can know it. But suppose we wish to peel another layer of the onion. In that case, we could not do better than exploring a concept of Robert Anton Wilson's something that he actually popularized in, uh, I think it's his 1983 book, Prometheus Rising. He talked about a thing that he believed further limited our perception of reality, and that is the reality tunnel. Now, the reality tunnel is a theory that, that with a subconscious set of mental filters formed from, you know, beliefs and experiences, Every individual interprets the same world differently. Hence, truth is in the eye of the beholder. Now, that idea does not necessarily imply that there is no objective truth, rather that our access to it is mediated through our senses, experience, conditioning, prior beliefs, and other non-objective factors. The implied individual world each person occupies is said to be their specific reality tunnel. And I'm sure you've bumped up against them. (laughs) 
uh, you know, if you have a blue reality tunnel and you bump into somebody that has a red reality tunnel, then those two reality tunnels don't kind of turn into purple very easily, do they? They kind of like repel each other a little bit. So if you're a red person, you are going to assign significance to observations that confirm red beliefs while filtering out blue beliefs. And if you're blue, you're going to notice and assign significance to observations that confirm blue beliefs while you filter out and rationalize away red beliefs. And I tell you what, my Facebook profile is friggin' interesting because I love people of all colors. And so I'll see a red post and I'll see a blue post about the exact same issue. And let me tell you, the arguments are completely worked out. They're completely convincing on both sides. And yet they are completely contradictory. And it's like, wow. This is just insane. Ah, So while it seems most people take their beliefs to correspond to the one true objective reality, Robert Anton Wilson emphasizes that each person's reality tunnel is their own artistic creation, whether they realize it or not. The reality tunnel has been a handy tool to realize that there is no vantage point from which we can see objective reality. We are all looking from the point of our own reality tunnels. And when we begin to realize that we're all looking from the point of view of our own reality tunnel, we find it much easier to understand where other people are coming from. Okay, now... That made a lot of sense to me, right? That made a whole lot of sense to me. Robert Anton Wilson makes a whole lot of sense to me. And however, Robert Anton Wilson passed away three years after Facebook was created. So he really did not get to dive into social media the way that we do today. Sure, there was TV and radio and newspapers that created and enforced the agenda of the day and the belief systems behind it, but there was nothing like the relentless influence of social media that we experience today. This immersion in social media then kind of leads me to question Wilson's assertion that each person's reality tunnel is in fact their own artistic creation. I'm totally okay with the fact that each of us has a reality tunnel. I'm just questioning whether our tunnels today are our own, our own artistic creation. I am not alone. Recently, Tristan Harris, an American technology ethicist who works at Google and produced the Social Dilemma documentary, which I totally recommend that you watch. That's homework for today. (laughs) He said on the Joe Rogan podcast that the mass influence of social media is the most advanced weapon on the face of the planet. I'm going to say that again. The mass influence of social media is the most advanced weapon on the planet. This guest, I absolutely agree with. He said, 
Imagine walking into a control room with a bunch of people hunched over a desk with little dials and that that control room will shape the thoughts and feelings of a billion people. This might sound like science fiction, but this actually exists right now, today. Right now, today, technology steers what two billion people are thinking and believing every day. It's possibly the largest source of influence over two billion people's thoughts that has ever been created. Religion doesn't have that much influence over people's daily thoughts. Government? Ah, government's trying to, right? I don't know. (laughs) Is government in collusion with technology? Perhaps? I don't know. So what used to be a personal reality tunnel has now become subject to the messaging of just a few. To quote Tristan again, he says, I don't know a more urgent problem than this because this problem is underneath all problems. Now, he's talking about social problems, all the social movements that are fighting each other and the red and blue fighting each other and all of that. But he's not looking at all the stuff on the white page. Now, why is this important? Before we go too far down this journey, you're like, what has Facebook got to do with magic? For God's sakes, Vanessa, I just put my cat pictures up there and I look at your cucumbers and girl, they are huge, your cucumbers, because they are huge. So to answer that, we're going to have to get outside our dot, get out into the white and get out into the unknown for a little bit. And so let's take a little wander down a hermetic path for a moment, shall we? And visit the Kabbalion. The Kabbalion is a study of the hermetic philosophy of ancient Egypt and Greece. It's a book by three initiates, but nobody really knows who they are. The main teaching in this book are the seven principles of nature. And these principles represent the power of truth and knowledge. And the very, very first principle is the principle of mentalism. The all is mind. The universe is mental, says the Kabbalion. Now, this principle embodies the truth that all is mind. It explains that the all, which is the substantial reality underlying all the outward manifestations and appearances, which we know under the term of the material universe, the phenomena of life, matter, energy, and in short, all that is apparent to our material senses. So all of that is actually spirit, which in itself is unknowable and undefinable, but which may be considered and thought of as a universal infinite living mind. It also explains that all the phenomenal world or universe is simply a mental creation of the all. Now, I was really blessed to interview Bernardo Castro. And Bernardo is super interesting. He's like a quantum physicist. He worked at CERN. And he is kind of the poster boy right now for a philosophical approach that is called idealism. And he himself explains that it would probably be better described as ideaism. Because his theory is that pretty much what the (laughs) Kabbalion is talking about right now, that 
everything that we experience in material universe is a creation of the big mind, right? And I kind of really like his theory because it makes a lot of sense to me. In his particular approach to this, the big mind, I'm going to just butcher this, so I'm sorry, Bernardo, I apologize in advance. (laughs) In Bernardo's theory, you and I are very much akin to alters or alternate personalities like in the movie Sybil that exist within the mind, the big mind of the creator. And so in a way, the creator is um, suffering from schizophrenia, right? Schizophrenia. Okay. So within the big mind of the all, you have these schizophrenic alters and each alter believes they're an independent personality. Just like, you know, in Sybil, she had a nasty one that didn't, that was completely separate to the nice one that it's been a long time since I watched that movie, but was trying to protect, you know, the younger, more innocent one. And they were absolutely distinct personalities. So, so basically you and I are under Bernardo's approach would be considered to be independent alters of the big one. Now, why this is really interesting to me is that whole idea of as above, so below. And, okay, I just remembered, and Mandelbrot said, so (laughs) if you kind of think about, you know, the big creator uh, is the big graph, and then you drill down into it, and then, There's all of these subdivisions that look just like the, or spirals that look just like the big spiral. And then you zoom in down on that. And then there's a whole bunch of other spirals. And then you zoom in on that. And and there is this incredible holographic nature to the Mandelbrot series. And that's kind of the way that I envisage our relationship to the creator, that we are, in fact, part of the mind of God. And so it's just you need to zoom down and you'll see, holy moly, there is another spiral that looks just like the big spiral that is Venice or is you. Okay, now, why this is important is because the big creator creates. The big creator creates. And so let's talk about creation for a moment because that's kind of like another fundamental law. And also when you get into the Kabbalion, they actually talk about the principle of gender. So this is law number seven, and gender is in everything. Everything has its masculine and feminine principles. Gender manifests on all planes. Okay, now, this is kind of interesting because what this is saying is that within your little spiral, that you have both the principle of male gender and you have the principle of female gender within you, within your spiral. Now, if we come up to a kind of um, the material plane and we look at creation, what we see is that the action of the male gender is to provide the pattern, the seed, the seed that contains kind of, you know, the blueprint of what the new creation is going to be. And the female is the matter. So you have pattern and matter, pattern and matter, pattern a seed. And then there is this beautiful materia, um, fertile ground from which 
the creation flows. Okay. It's the same with fields. You know, you have the beautiful field that is the female and then the male comes along and the seeds come in, which is the male aspect and voila, things grow. Now, if your field, which in another level of this understanding, another level, another plane in which this aspect of gender is true, is also on the mental plane, right? So we've got the physical plane where the principle manifests as sex, okay? But on higher planes, it takes higher forms. So on the mental plane, and we kind of haven't got into this yet, but look, there is the physical plane, mental plane, emotional plane, ether. There's Go and buy the great work documentary. It's a wonderful documentary by this chick called Venice McNeil and Chance Gardner, and it kind of gets into the whole plane, <laughs> the playing fields of the planes. Okay, so just know that on the physical plane, this principle of gender manifests as actual sex. And on the higher planes, it takes higher forms. But it's the same basic idea, right? There is no creation, physical, mental, or spiritual, that is possible without this principle. And understanding its laws will throw light on the whole subject of creation. And that's kind of what we're talking about when we're doing magic. We're creating in a way. Okay, so let's go back to the mental plane. The mental plane is mind. And so in this level, in this realm of the idea of gender, the principle of gender, your mind would be the field. It would be considered to be the beautiful, lush field, brown, wormy field with activated charcoal in there and bioorganisms and worms. And okay, you can see that I'm kind of trying to learn about soil too, right? <laughs> so anyway, a big, juicy, big, juicy lump of brown soil. That's your mind. And your mind is just waiting for seeds to be planted in it. And the seeds, once planted, are going to grow into creation. They're going to manifest into reality. Now, if you do not pay attention to the seeds that get planted in your field, then you're going to end up with a bunch of stuff that you don't want. Like if you, if somebody comes along and plants, like in my case, a bunch of zucchini seeds, I'm not going to be really happy because I don't care for zucchinis all that much. Sorry, zucchini, but I don't. You're just bland and squishy and yucky. Women biologically have kind of this impetus to go and find the very, very best seed they can out there. And it's not really necessarily on a conscious level. Although consciously, you can see that women do that too, but there's a whole book, it's called The Sperm Wars. It's super interesting about the behavior of women as it pertains to getting seeds. And there's a lot of surprising research there. And again, it's a story, but it's a good story, right? And that same book talks about men and men's behavior as it pertains to seeds. So there's a lot of, a lot of human behavior around this seed spreading and seed collecting. But at the bottom line of this is that there is a certain discrimination on the part of the female as a general rule in terms of getting the very, very best seed so that she can produce the very, very best offspring. So that same principle needs to apply on the mental plane, okay? We need to be just 
as particular about the kinds of seeds we allow to get planted into our gorgeous field. Because if we don't, then we are going to produce a whole bunch of stuff that we don't want. Now, when I first came across this idea, I loved it. It just made perfect sense to me. And I've put my money where my mouth is. Okay, so there is literally television programming and movies and things like that that I will not engage with at all because I don't want to put those seeds in my brain. I don't want those seeds blossoming into whatever the nasty things they might blossom into as a result of having these ideas put in my head. So on a very simple level, there's scary movies. I don't want the scary movie to upset me and give me nightmares and bear fruit in terms of just a bad night's sleep. So I don't watch horror movies. I don't let those things in. Okay. But now if we look at the world today and we see that we are not living at all the way that we would choose to live. We can all agree that there are better ways of handling this set of situations that have come to the fore, but yet they have manifested and bloomed into reality. And how could that be? Well, it could be because the seed of fear was deliberately planted in the soil of our minds and voila, a whole new reality has been created. That is magic. That right there is the science and art of creating change in accordance with the will of a select few people. That is a definition of magic. And so if we don't even understand magic, if we don't see magic, if we're not allowed to look at magic, then we just are like, oh, I'm afraid. And I look, believe me, (laughs) I, I was afraid too. But now I'm not because now I have eyes to see. Doesn't that just kind of make you think about the things that you say or the things that you write on your social media or the things that you choose not to write. Maybe that'll have you second guess the ideas about choosing not to write certain things because, because let's get real. There are a lot of mind fields, (laughs) fields of mind that are pretty unprotected. There's not a lot of obviously selection going on. And despite, you know, the weapon of mass manipulation, perhaps you can be the person that plants a seed in their field, a seed that is going to end up growing the kind of future that we all would like to see. So think about it before you get discouraged. And here's one thing also that you probably don't realize on social media. When you post something that is oh controversial and um, a lot of people get on your ass and say, no, 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 no. Well, they're kind of that noisy minority, right? <laughs> if you take the 80-20 rule, 
then those 20% of people that are uh, jumping down your ass are much fewer in number than the quiet majority of 80% of people who might not say anything. However, what you say might either plant a seed or help nurture a seed. And so if you feel like you want to say something, go ahead and say it, you know, don't worry about the few. Just, I ignore them, right? I ignore them. And here's the other thing. Uh, If I don't say something, then I guarantee one of my friends will say something. So, hey, thank you, friends. (laughs) Oh, it's all very interesting. Anyway, more soon, lovelies. Hello, lovelies. I am so excited to announce the release of our new film called Hekka. Heka looks at the magic of ancient Egypt and how that pertains to the story of ancient Egypt and fills in a whole new perspective that we have been missing collectively for hundreds of years. It features Gordon White, Chance Gardner, Joseph Patrick Farrell, Lon Milo Duquette, Tobias Churton, Graham Hancock, of course, the fabulous John Anthony West, Rupert Sheldrake, Stephen Skinner, Thomas Sheridan, Peter Mark Adams, Thomas Joseph Brown, Aton Veggie, Mog Morton, Bernardo Katstrop, Shauna Holm, Mark Passio, John Zaraki, and the goddess Joanna Kujawa. I am so incredibly proud of it, and I invite you to come and have a look. You can find a link on MagicalEgypt.com. Thank you. 